You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your guest. I'm your host, Darren Nichols, and our guest today is Dr. Nikita Murray, a native Detroiter who is doing some wonderful things professionally with her nonprofit, uh, as well as uh, professionally. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about sexual assault, as this is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Nikita, introduce yourself to our audience. Hello, audience. As our wonderful host said, this is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and for the past almost 10 years, I've been working specifically around issues related to sexual assault, relationship violence, and most importantly, recovery. So I'm really excited about this opportunity to not just talk about the abusive aspect, but how do we get past the abuse and get back to, like, get to being healed. Okay. And tell people you're being a little bit shy. Tell people about your full background so that they know where you work and where you're from and all of that good stuff. Sure. Sure. So I'm a licensed professional counselor and a counselor educator by trade. My doctorate is my doctorate is in counselor education and supervision. And I became interested in this particular topic that we're going to discuss today out of my dissertation work. So my entire background has been around telling the stories of people listening to the stories of people. So my bachelor's degree is in journalism. My master's degree is in professional counseling. And then my doctorate is in what it is. And so for me, that's a a steady line of just being able to hear from people and tell their stories and learn from their stories. And so, um, I think that's a, a rich background for the work that I'm doing now. And then in addition to that, I have my own nonprofit. It's called the Go Back Project, and it's built around um, providing resources for young people and the people who care for them to make sure that as much as possible in non-academic ways, there's a community of support for children. And specifically, it originates out of my love for Detroit, being a Detroit native, being an East Sider um, for life, <laughs> and just really wanting to give back a lot. So one of the things that I do, even out of the nonprofit, is go back to my old elementary school, which is one of only two schools remaining in my old neighborhood on the wow. East Side. And when, Go ahead. I said, wow. And we, yeah. And so when you think about that, that, right, wow, that is a big thing, just two schools. And they're both K through eight. So there isn't a middle school in my old, well, there isn't an independent middle school in my old neighborhood. And there is not a high school in my old neighborhood, which any place else, it, 
in Michigan would be ridiculous or in the more affluent areas in Michigan would be ridiculous. But on the east side of Detroit, in that old neighborhood, I guess that's acceptable. And so I go back and I do work with AL Homes uh, School in part so kids can know, yes, I came from this very same neighborhood that you now live in. And if I could do it, you can do it too. It is possible. There is this great big world out there um, beyond the borders of Crane and Georgia and and, and and those streets where the school is located. So that's one piece. But then it's actually picking up steam across the state. So we do um, work up north and in the Saginaw community and in some rural parts of Michigan. And so because poverty and marginalization and hopefulness or hopelessness, it doesn't have boundaries to it. And so the work allows us to to work at it from that angle. And then a piece of the work with the uh, Go Back Project also specifically addresses healing for women who have experienced relationship violence or sexual violence. Okay. And so... that, That was pretty long. Sorry. But that's okay. We've got all the time in the world, as long as our producer doesn't cut us off. Okay. So... You talked about your educational background and and how you focused on sexual assault. Um, but what drove you to do that? And what um, was there any kind of particular incident that sparked your interest in this for you? Or if it was really just like you mentioned before, um, a a love and a need of telling the stories of sexual assault uh, victims. It's a little bit of everything um, and some irony. So um, when I was working on my master's degree, I was part of a research team or a study team of students who shared the same mentor. And that person was very involved in sexuality and healthy sexuality and sexuality education, sexuality therapy, you know, as a therapist. And so this group of us found that very interesting. Um, and so she was an African-American, she is an African-American female, and, and we were all African or African-Americans um, in this particular group. And so she kind of mentored us and just brought us into that specialization. And we were focusing on AIDS and HIV in the black community. And so my part within that was uh, people 60 and older, right? Because, again, I'm going back to my parents, my aunts, and my uncles, and, and that population of people. And it really came out of my mom living in a senior building at the time and telling me, hey, somebody came and gave us condoms today. And she just thought that was hilarious. Um, but then we had a conversation about it and she was connecting that, oh no, they gave us the condoms because they were talking about HIV and AIDS and how, you know, like we need to wrap it up. But again, you know, she's using this lingo and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I'm having this conversation with my mom at this age in life. Right. Hmm. Right. That's everybody's dream. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, but really it put me on the path to thinking about, you know, I'd like to research more and write more about healthy sexuality over the age of 60. Because if we're blessed to be that way, we'll be over 60 
And this whole cultural idea that, well, your sexuality, your sexual interests, who you are, all of that just kind of dies after a certain age, and that's not true. And so what do I want to do to help people age gracefully and appropriately and confidently within their sexuality? So that was, that was my, my piece of it. That was going to be my dissertation topic. I got to, you know, my PhD program and, you know, was lined up with great um, mentors who, again, worked in this field. And it was my um, program coordinator who said, you need to take that a step back. So before you can start talking about women and their sexuality or black women and their sexuality, you have to talk about black females being identified and acknowledged as women in the first place. Okay. And I didn't think of that. Okay. And in the process of pursuing that line, I kept seeing the stories of women who had experienced sexual violence at some point in their lives as part of their story of becoming a woman. And so it created new questions for me at the same time. I needed a job while I was writing my uh, dissertation. I reached out to my local shelter and asked if I could counsel women there on a contractual basic basis that turned into a job. And the real gift in that was that my executive director really helped me to enrich my dissertation around this topic of sexual assault. Um, And so that's kind of how I got on the path that, Um, I'm on now. And so now I serve on boards related to prevention and education around sexual assault and health and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. And what led us to um, discussing this topic was that I saw that you served on a panel uh, about sexual assault and your portion is going is dealing with um, healing the whole you. And this mm-hmm. seems like a very simple question, but how do you heal your whole self? And mm-hmm. talk talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you um, are dealing with, with this sure. issue. Okay. So there's a lot of shame. I'm sorry. There's a lot of shame that goes around. Okay, I'm sorry, Darren. My dog is going to uh take it over. There's a lot of shame for people who have been sexually assaulted or experienced some type of sexual abuse, misuse or abuse through no fault of their own. So, like, no one wants this, whether it's in a relationship that they are sharing with somebody that has shifted or a relationship that's turned out not to be the relationship that they thought it was going to be or something from the past or a complete stranger encounter. Nobody asks for that and, and you can't plan for that. And so there's shame that comes from that sometimes because there's always the guilt of, well, what could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? Um, was this my fault? And of course, society, right, says a lot of that 
to survivors as well. And we can look at it with some of the larger events that have taken place in mainstream society and see how we attack the survivors instead of attacking the topic of sexual violence against women in our culture. And so part of it is just getting past that guilt and understanding that, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. You know, you are entitled to expect, you are entitled to your safety and to your sexual safety. And so the first part of it is honoring your ability to cry. So like in our society, we have these lies that we tell young girls and women about themselves that if you, you know, if you're not these things or if you're this particular way, then, you know, you're not a real woman. So big girls don't cry. But in reality, big girls do cry. And it's okay to cry and give yourself permission to cry. So that's one thing, one way in which people are able to heal. The other way is tap into your spiritual side, because we all have one of those. We might call it something different, and we might worship a different idea of a God or a creator or a guiding force, but whatever that source is, tap into it and allow it to guide you toward the positive aspect of who you are in recovery instead of the negative aspect. So I'll give you an example. I grew up during this period where if you were a young girl and you did anything wrong, you know, you still had to go before the church or the mothers of the church, you know, and and have this whole conversation about why you did what you did and how it happened. And so, you know, I had peers who would have to explain how they got pregnant. It's like, really, does that require an explanation? Um, But, you know, just this built-in shame that takes place in, in some of our, I won't say spiritual systems, I'll say religious systems, that then add on another layer to that shame and that judgment that survivors can sometimes feel. So tap into your spirituality and the positive parts of your spirituality to help you recover, whether that means meditation or prayer or songs or journaling, any of that that's positive. Because even even if you read the Bible, right, um, when you look at the path of Jesus, it's not one that condemns people who are hurting or who are marginalized. And so somehow we've got that really twisted. And so we walk, and how that impacts survivors is that for those who subscribe to that um, theology, then they're judging themselves and they're allowing others to judge them. So don't allow others to judge you and don't judge yourself. Because again, this wasn't something that you asked for. And then the whole idea of just healthy sexuality. We don't talk about sex in our society. Within certain cultures, we don't talk about sex. And then going back to my um, research work, there is a point where I talked with women who had also raised daughters 
their mother didn't talk to them about sexuality. Sure. They didn't talk to their daughters about sexuality. And so that whole breakdown is being perpetuated. And so where do you, where do you normalize your thoughts and your feelings? And so if you're already trying to get past this culture that views sexuality in a negative way or a perversive way, and certainly abuse makes it that way, how do you ever get to the healthy side? And that could be as simple as finding yourself um, a tribe of women where you can talk about anything sexuality related. And that's easier said than done sometimes. Um, but if you have questions, you have, to, you, you have to have one or two girlfriends where you can say, you can have conversations around things like, okay, well, how do you, how, how, how do you be comfortable? Um, how do you set a mood? Because again, when we're talking about survivors or people who have otherwise been abused sexually or just have negative ideas about sexuality, they don't really have a positive experience or foundation to work from. And so part of the work is creating a foundation, a positive foundation. And that means creating a tribe of women that you could talk to openly and honestly about certain topics and then going from there. Okay. Okay. And so my next question is, is sort of dealing with men. So what is it that men can learn from sexual assault? And, and I'm not talking about really simple things like no means no, because we've heard, we've heard those things over and over again, right? But I'm talking about these fundamental things that can alleviate a sexual assault. Um, and so what is it that men can learn about um, our behavior and some of the things that may we may be um, bringing across to women that um, not necessarily leads to a sexual assault incident, but leads to a woman being uncomfortable? Sure. You know, it's, it's interesting, and I know what you mean when you talk about the message no means no, but there really is still a part in our culture, both with adult men and with young men, who really don't understand the broad range of what that means. And so um, I know that you and I are of the same relative age period where like we grew up during a time where you could run by and pinch somebody and giggle it off and say, oh, that person just like you. And it was dismissed in that kind of way. Right. Or if a boy tugged on a girl's ponytail, well, he just likes you. And so we dismiss it as kids being kids, boys being boys and girls being girls. So the message really does need to take place earlier so fathers can share with their daughters if this happens to you and it makes you feel uncomfortable, you have every right to feel uncomfortable and you have every right to tell somebody. And if no one does anything about it, always come to dad. Okay. And dad won't, dad will support you and dad won't be mad at you. 
by the same time, by the same token, to teach that same thing to your sons and say, you know, like earlier even, it used to be a time when girls or people thought girls found this kind of stuff funny or that it was okay. Right. And it's really not okay. And I, son, I need you to understand that it's really not okay. And sometimes you can get caught up playing around. But if your friend, who's also a girl, says, stop, says, leave me alone, says that's not fun, then you need to stop. Okay. Okay. And so... Generally speaking, what drives a man to sexually assault a woman? I mean, is it about power? Is it about not knowing? I mean, because recently, I mean, you're talking about uh, the civil suit that was just filed against MSU, um, Mm -hmm. saying she was encouraged not to tell. You're talking about uh, the Bill Cosby incident. Your incidents meaning over a period of 40 or 50 years. Let me be clear about that. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're talking about people like Darren Sharper, the former NFL player who was on uh, national television, who um, eventually was essentially date raping women by drugging them um, and putting things in their drink. So what, Mm -hmm. from your professional experience, drives men to do this sort of thing because as a man it seems odd to me that that is what you would do in order to attract a woman in order to date a woman in order to have sex with a woman that seems very odd to me and so from your professional experience what what are some of the drivers that that causes these things to happen. Mm -hmm. And really what you're talking about is a much larger topic with a lot of layers because you hit on a number of variables that may not be explained by the same response. So I'll say that part. But ultimately, it very much is about power and control. And so we know from uh, research conducted by various um, agencies and organizations nationally and internationally around this topic that there are some variables within, within abuse that are typical of men. And at the core, it's about power and control. Rape, sexual assault, whatever word we want to use to describe that um, violation is never about sex or intimacy or love or connection. It's about enforcing your will upon somebody else. Um, In addition to that, we have a culture that supports sexual assault of women um, and by extension, sexual assault of children, because we're talking about two, two, groups of people or two groups of individuals whose voices are less powerful in our country, in our society, the way it's constructed, um, and thereby making it more difficult for them to be heard and for tougher laws to, to kind of even help to, to begin to help to deter 
this whole issue. But certainly, whether you're a professional athlete or Joe Nobody, at the end of the day, it's about having power and having ego that drives that power where you feel like you're entitled to take somebody else. Sure. Um, Yeah. And, And as you know, even in the celebrity culture where we're talking about whether we're talking about actors or professional athletes or college athletes, a lot of that starts at a very early age, particularly when we're talking about our athletes. And again, we're coming out of a time where, quote unquote, pretty girls were used and are used to attract star athletes to certain athletic programs. Sure. And we look at our Super Bowl commercials, like we're shifting a little bit, but at the same time, a lot of those those commercials and things around that time are very sexual. We look at what happened uh, this year around the Super Bowl, where you have a team owner accused of doing something inappropriate with, a well, human trafficking. Yes. Not just inappropriate, human trafficking. And so it is so much a part of the culture. And we don't, again, going back to my earlier statement, when we start talking about survivors, um, we do not support survivors. We do not have a culture where we believe survivors. We, w- whether we're talking about R. Kelly and, and the uh, allegations around that, we say, well, where were their parents? Or those were just fast girls. It's like we never say that was a grown man. Right. 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 We we put it back on the victim or if somebody is assaulted, we want to talk about what they used, what they were wearing or whether they were out by themselves or if they were drinking or if they had had sex before with somebody else. Well, there's a choice. There's a difference between your choice to be intimate with somebody and someone taking that choice away from you, which is what sexual assault is. And so until we see the culture change we're still going to be asking some of the same questions that you're raising. Okay. And so I was going to ask another question, but what changes, I want to get back to what you just said. What changes the culture? What can be done and how can that culture get changed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are some amazing national and statewide groups that are working on these initiatives, one simple thing can be partner with those organizations and make a deliberate effort as if we're talking about men as males to become knowledgeable and to be on the forefront of this issue and to get out there and like use your voice to bring attention to sexual assault, child sexual assault, human trafficking. Um, and if, and not just leave it to women. So, like, in the Detroit area, I know the Sasha Center and Kalima Johnson um, is doing amazing work in that area. And then, collectively, there's been great work in that area to get sexual assault kits even just tested. So, those types of things, when you look at them, you see women driving the, the effort. and certainly. It is a sisterhood effort, but where's the brotherhood effort? And so 
men can line up with women in this and don't just leave women as the leaders in in healing themselves. Okay. And and I'll get more into the, into that particular issue a little bit later. But I want to kind of move on to the Me Too movement because much has been made about the Me Too movement. Um but and then it's become the most signature or or a very signature movement by women of other communities. However, the reality is, is that it was founded by a black woman. So mm-hmm. give me your thoughts about how, um, what you're seeing about the Me Too movement. And, and, and I am not against it as it stands right now. However, what does it mean to because we have seen in a number of different things, whether it was African American music, whether it was African American dance, whether it was uh hip hop, you could you could go to a number of different issues that were raised by or were uh, started by people of color and then mm-hmm. taken over by other communities. And so what do you see out of this Me Too movement and how can we make sure that women of color are brought back into the fold in terms of this discussion on sexual assault? Sure. Well, the workshop that you alluded to earlier in our discussion is one example of how that's taken place, at least for me and for people that I know of in terms of black women, because it's creating uh, a community and a format for black women to talk about some of these issues. It's also something that is flowing out of a new blog that I've created um, for women to be able to come through like read the experience of other women. Let me stop you right there. Oh, sorry. Give a shameless plug to the blog. (laughs) Um, The blog is called Big Girls, Little Lies. And it's a part of, again, uh, work that I'm doing. So it's on my professional website at www.drnikitamurray.com. Okay. Um, And so it's really intended to start a conversation, uh, big girls, little lies, around, you know, like the idea that we're not women, that we're not beautiful, that we're not sexual, like all these negative connotations that come up through culture that we are starting to see confronted through, through things like black girl magic. But, you know, that's just one thing. And one thing isn't enough to keep, the whole conversation going. And so we want to just create more spaces for um, black women to jump in and get involved across the, in, in the conversation across the board. Okay. And so is it more about conversation or is it more about um, awareness? Um, is it more about um, getting people involved? Is it, is it about getting people like Gabrielle Union um to speak out more about uh, sexual assault, what what will it take to increase this awareness that you're you're bringing to the to forefront? You know, I, I tend to be grassroots focused, so I understand the power of a celebrity 
voice because we are in that age of celebrity influencers or or just influencers in general. However, lasting change takes place at the grassroots level because then it becomes integrated in culture and integrated in society and in communities and in homes and in churches and in schools. And so that's really where the conversation that you're, the type of conversation and type of engagement that you're talking about needs to take place. So when I recently did my soul care um, presentation, that was at a church, but check this out. It was at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship Church, which tends to be pretty broad in its philosophy towards addressing social justice issues. But these same type of conversations need to take place at the Baptist churches and the Methodist churches and the Lutheran churches and the AME churches. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be like someplace that people consider the fringes. It needs to be part of the mainstream. At the same time, being an educator and doing a good amount of work within schools and with with school systems, I know that this conversation doesn't take place um, within schools. Um, And when it does happen, it's in a very strict delivery and very strict format. Um, Part of that is because, you know, and I support parental rights around this topic and talking about sexuality with their children. I get it. However, there are a great number of parents who aren't having those conversations. And so when we try to constrict the message to accommodate a few, we're leaving out those people who really need the message and really need the information. And so it's a couple of different things at a couple of different levels, and we're attacking it from all levels. Okay. Um, we You touched upon this issue a little bit earlier, but I wanted to kind of go back to it. Um, And so what can men do to support the women in their lives, meaning particularly black men um, or or men in general? What can we do to support the women in their lives, whether they are um, dealing with, whether they're dealing with a woman who has had a sexual assault incident in their life or not? I would say it really is about becoming knowledgeable and about um, being willing to hear the difficult conversation. That's that's going to be key because sometimes it's kind of, it's hard to listen to the stories of or the experiences of people that we know and people that we care about or just in general, sometimes you know, we could be hearing about an experience of somebody on television that we never met and it brings tears to our eyes. But the topic of sexual assault, harassment, abuse, all of that, those are tough things to talk about. And one is to be a listener. Two is to be supportive. And by being supportive, I mean, don't just say the right words, but mean the right words. Okay. So if you understand, truly understand, if you don't understand, 
try to seek understanding and don't get frustrated when maybe you don't see eye to eye. Okay. And that's okay because it's not your experience. You won't see eye to eye, maybe. Sure. But at least honor the experience of that person. Okay. Okay. And before we let you go, um, I'll ask one more question and then I want, you know, your final thoughts on this on this topic. Um, and so my my sort of final question is why don't men speak about issues of sexual assault when they occur to them? Oh, you know the answer to that one. It's about manhood. You know, we see we still have in our culture this very distorted view of what it means to be a man and what manhood looks like. In addition to that, when we look at the number of black and brown skinned males, and I'll even throw in all young males who grow up without a healthy male figure or a healthy male role model, you're picking up that information and making decisions about what that means and what that looks like by very outdated examples or from your friends. And, you know, if you think back to your friends, as I do mine, like they didn't know any more than I did, but they just kind of played it off like they did. So we're learning from knuckleheads at a young age. And then we, when we get older, we don't have anybody to kind of correct that. And certainly we have this culture with hyper-masculinity. So, you know, it's not just enough to be tough. You have to be ultra-tough. And you can't be ultra-tough um, if this very personal um, control-based, power-based thing happened to you. How do you explain your manhood and acknowledge that you were assaulted at the same time. Okay, okay. In in our cu- current culture. Right, absolutely. So in many ways, it's the same. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. But in many ways, it's the same problem that women have in that it comes from a place of ignorance with the greater society, and it comes from a place of a culture that directly and indirectly encourages and supports violence. Right. So violence is, is, is there yeah. So is there more of a shame if you're a man that's been sexually assaulted and you don't um and you didn't want it to occur because there are obviously mm-hmm. a lot of men that you have explained that they don't know or want to recognize that what happened was wrong, that they were 16 and they had sex with their teacher. I certainly get that. But what about the the young man or older man who was taken advantage of by a woman and they're ashamed by it as well? Mm -hmm. It goes, it really does. I don't, well, let me say it this way. I don't think that there is more shame. I will say that there's a different, way in which that shame is experienced and is um, presented or manifested in society. 
So if you're a teenage boy or an adolescent boy and you have an encounter with an adult woman, people could look at you and say, well, what's wrong with you? Sure. Like anybody would want that. And certainly we even have, again, movies in popular culture that celebrate that. Um, from the very old Mrs. Robinson to American Pie. So we have these things that happen in our culture and we make it into entertainment and we, and we normalize it when we make it into, into entertainment. And so when you're talking about a young person who's coming into his own um, as a male and, you know, as a sexual being and your first encounter is with an adult woman, that is very confusing and that is abusive. And it is this whole litany of things that you question, but society is telling you that you shouldn't question. By the same token, if you're a young man or um, a child and you've been assaulted by another male, you have questions about your gender identity and about your sexuality because biology is biology. Whether we're talking about an adult male or adult female or another, whoever that power figure is, biology kicks in and part of that is gratifying and part of that is, and all of that is abusive. So it's really hard for a transitioning, developing mind as a male to reconcile and to, to work through. Okay. I found some of that gratifying, but I know it shouldn't have been. What does that mean for me? And so when I used to counsel uh, teens who had been sexually abusive, sexually abused, I'm sorry, that was a part of our conversation and just sifting through that. And their question of, you know, Dr. Murray, does that mean I'm gay? No, it doesn't. Now, you may have some same-sex interest down the line, but it has nothing to do with that. That what happened to you was just biology kicking in in the midst of something very ugly happening. But again, if we don't have any healthy role models and healthy conversations for our youth around these topics, how are they supposed to know what's going on? Okay. Nobody's talking about it. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so before we get out of here, give us your final thoughts on the things that we discussed today and anything else that you um, missed out and wanted to add? I'm, well, first of all, I appreciate you having this topic um, around this and just being able to plant seeds. Like, we need more people like you, more strong men, more strong fathers like you to invite these types of conversations. And so... You know, I will put the challenge out there to say what other rites of passage type things are we doing or can people like you, leaders like yourself, do with boys um, and young men around the topic of healthy conversations related to sexuality? Because it, we need it to be healthy for both young men and young women. And somebody has to have that conversation. Well, thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Nikita Murray, Um, a favorite of mine, Um, a a Kettering girl, 
And like I said, like I always say, my favorite hue is K.E. Blue. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. to steal the line from, from Jay-Z. So, you know, I thank you for coming on Beyond the Headlines this week. And until next week, we're going to sign off from Beyond the Headlines. And we hope you have a great week. As we leave Beyond the Headlines, I want to give our listeners an inspirational quote for you guys to ponder each week as you get ready for the new show. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King. It reads, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines. Thank you.